Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, we're looking at the church in Laodicea, verses 14 through 22. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to rejoice with those that are being baptized today. The venue service meeting right down the hall, I believe they've got five baptisms occurring this morning. And over at Reach Church DeSoto, they're they're joining us via live stream this morning, and they're baptizing a couple folks over there, Matt and Maureen Ross. And let's just rejoice with them. They'll hear us here. Let's rejoice with them and being baptized. Many have reached out to us uh, following our, uh, our baptismal service a couple of weeks ago. It's just a good reminder to tell you today, if God is working in your heart with regards to baptism, maybe you still have some questions or maybe even questions about salvation and following Christ. And uh, just know this, we would love to help you. Uh, you can contact us here at the church, myself, or any number of our pastors would love to meet and talk with you about baptism or salvation or any number of those things. We're, we're here to serve you. We want to help you as you walk with Christ and seek to walk in obedience to his word. Well, we come to the final of these seven letters. We've seen uh, in Ephesus, a church that had lost its first love. We, we saw in Smyrna, a suffering church and. Uh, Pergamum, we saw a church that was compromising, and Thyatira, we found a church that had become corrupt. Sardis, we found a church that thought it was alive, but in fact, Christ says they are dead. And in Philadelphia, we found what I thought to be Christ's favorite church, a church that was faithful, faithful to his name and faithful to his word. As we come to this final church, we find a lukewarm church, and This of the seven letters is probably the most familiar to us. There's a passage in here that you've probably heard preached on many occasions. Even as I look back, of all these letters, this is the one I've preached the most. But here's been my prayer and will be my prayer for us this morning is that God would give us fresh eyes to see. Often one of my prayers is, Lord, protect me from what I think I already know. Um, And God, teach me what you would have me to know. And so that's kind of my prayer for us this morning, that we would lay aside what we think we already know about this passage, and we let God speak into our individual hearts. So let's read it. Let's just begin by reading this passage, beginning in verse 14, and then we'll pray together and work our way through it. Look at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, this morning as we come to your word, we come with humble hearts. Lord, I pray that during this time you would help us to set aside any distraction that might hinder us from focusing upon you and hearing your voice. 
Lord, I don't know the condition of every person that's here or certainly the condition of those who are joining us online. But you know them by name. You made them. And I believe you desire to speak to them this morning. So Lord, please prevent me from doing anything that would distract them or hinder them from hearing your voice. Help me, Lord, I pray, to correctly divide your word. God, I pray that we would meet with you and that all of us, all of us, would be changed today because we heard your voice and your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Christ, as he begins this letter, as he does with each of the letters, he identifies himself. In many ways, he's saying to the church at Laodicea, before you hear what I say, you need to be reminded of who I am. So he kind of establishes his authority on the front end. And he says to the church at Laodicea that I'm the, I'm the amen. The amen means, uh, the word literally means truly, it means verily, it's the exclamation point or the affirmation at the end of a sentence. Paul in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that Christ is the amen to all of God's purposes and promises. Through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, he fulfills, he guarantees all of God's promises. As we see, this is going to be a church that's incredibly wealthy. They're rich, and Christ is reminding them at the front end, the only way to know the promises and purposes of God is through me. I'm the amen. And then he says, I'm the faithful and the true witness. It's another reminder, just as Christ has done with many of these letters, he reminds them that every word that I say is perfect and true. Every accusation I bring, every diagnosis I give, you can write it down and take it to the bank. It's true whether or not you feel it or not. This is important when it comes to a spiritual diagnosis. Sometimes we feel one way or we think one way about ourselves, but the only real diagnosis is what Christ says. What does Christ say about our lives? What does Christ say about us? Because his diagnosis, his, his analysis is true. So he says, I'm the faithful and the true witness. And then he says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, the church at Colossae, uh, Colossae was very near to Laodicea. They're all, there's these three cities in the Lycus Valley. But you'll remember Paul wrote to the Colossians and he speaks of Christ in chapter 1 verse 15. It says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things have been created through him and for him and by him all things hold together. There's a reminder here when he says he's the the beginning. It's not referring to chronological order. When it says he's the beginning, he is reminding them that I am supreme over creation. I'm sovereign over creation. And I am the source of every blessing that you know in your life. The danger for the Laodiceans was in their wealth. They get a little arrogant thinking, Look what we have earned, and Christ is reminding them here, you have nothing apart from me. Don't you think at this point Christ has got their attention? (laughs) I am the only way to know the purposes and promises of God. Every word I speak, every diagnosis I give, every accusation I bring is true, and I'm the source of every blessing you know. Even the air you breathe is a gift of my grace. 
So having established his authority and who he is, then he brings an accusation against them. Look at verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Now, I don't think, again, I'm trying to study this with fresh eyes. I don't think that Christ is saying, I wish you were for me or against me. I don't think Christ wishes that anybody would be against him. When Christ says, I wish you were cold or hot, I think what Christ is saying, I wish you were zealous for me. The the way I kind of pictured it in my mind that that he's coming to the church at Laodicea for a drink of water. He's, He's kind of tasting the water of their worship and their fellowship. And rather than receiving a cold cup of water, refreshing cold cup of water on a warm day or receiving a warm cup of water on a cold day, he receives tepidness. Essentially, he gets nothing. No zeal, unlike uh, Philadelphia, no, no zeal for his name, no zeal for his word, just tepidness, mediocrity, complacency. And look at verse 16. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I know many of you are probably getting ready to eat some lunch in a bit, but... Literally, this probably more accurately means not just spit out, but vomit. In other words, Christ is saying to the church at Laodicea, you make me sick. Man, that's pretty strong. We we can imagine a church making Christ cry. We we can probably even imagine a a church making Christ angry. But it's hard to imagine a situation in a church that would make him sick. And what we have to ask ourselves, because we don't ever want to be here. Well, you read this stuff, you say, I don't ever, ever want to hear Christ say, I'm going to spit you out of me. I don't want to ever hear Christ say that my life would make him sick. The question is, what, what brought about that kind of reaction from Christ? And it's clear here that this reaction from Christ doesn't come as a result of some kind of doctrinal heresy. Although we know how Christ feels about doctrinal heresy. We've seen it in the other letters. It doesn't come as a re- result of some gross immorality or sin. It comes as a result of their tepidness in their relationship to Christ. It was their lukewarmness. It was their, their complacency. What made him sick is, is not that they were against him. Is that the, it was that the, the, they didn't even really care that much about him. They ignored him. I mean, these, these are Christians. These are certainly, if you'd have gone to the church at Laodicea, are you Christians? They would have said, yeah, we're Christians. But in their life, in their day-to-day life, in their hour-by-hour living, and as we're going to see, even in their worship, there was no consideration for Christ. No zeal. And Christ says, it makes me sick. It really is amazing when you think about it that one of the most severe reactions of Jesus comes not as a result of doctrinal error or gross immorality. It comes as a result of complacency on the part of those who call Christ their Savior. And it ought to be a good reminder to us this morning That there is no place, there is no place for lukewarmness or complacency or even mediocrity in our relationship with Jesus. The gospel of Jesus 
Christ, it demands a radical turning away from sin and a radical devotion to Christ. If you want to know the radical devotion of Christ, just read the words of Christ in the gospel. I mean, he was pretty radical in what he called for. That if you want to come after me, you want to follow after me, you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross. you got to die to yourself and follow me. That's radical devotion. The gospel demands radical devotion. Listen, if, if we believe that this book is true, if we really believe that Jesus is king and he's God, if we really believe that, that heaven and hell are real and eternal destinations for all of us, and if we really believe that that Christ is God and he came and he lived and he died for our sins and he purchased our redemption and achieved our salvation and now it's given to us as a free gift of grace through faith. If that really is true, how in the world could we know Christ and remain complacent or indifferent towards him in our day-to-day life? Quite frankly, it's unimaginable, it's incomprehensible that a person could come to know the salvation, the rebirth, the certainty of heaven, the relationship with Christ through faith, and then just kind of tip the hat, thank you Jesus, and then go on about your life. It's incomprehensible. Well, how do they get there? Because that's the better question. This is their status, this is their symptom, but what's the real issue behind this? What? Because we got to know these things. We don't want to be there. How'd they get there? Well, look at verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So Laodicea, this city was incredibly wealthy. Um, certainly the church here, Christ says it, they're a very wealthy church. They, they say it. That's what they say. We're rich. We have need of nothing. Wealthy church, wealthy city, lots of stuff, material things of the world, they're doing great. And you know what I think they would have said, these being the good Christians that they are? How are you doing? How are you doing? You know what I think they would have said? We're blessed. Oh, we, we, do you even really have to ask? I mean, look at the car I'm driving. Look at the clothes I'm wearing. The favor of God rests upon me. And folks, this is the danger of physical and material blessings. The danger of physical and material blessings is they give us the false impression that we're doing okay spiritually. The danger is that we'd equate physical blessings with spiritual health. That's the danger. If we're not careful, we'll get to a place where maybe we love what Christ gives more than we love Christ. And it's why in Proverbs, Proverbs says this, Proverbs 38, 9, says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. In other words, give me my daily bread, that I may not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Now, now let's be honest this morning. How many of you, I mean, I'm speaking to myself, how many of you on a regular basis are praying this prayer? Lord, uh, don't give me a raise. Lord, don't, don't, don't increase my material wealth. Because if you give me more stuff, I'm, I might just start loving the stuff more than I love you, and I may just forget about you and deny your name. Listen to me, I, I want to be clear here this morning. I don't want anybody leaving with the false impression. Money and stuff is not the issue. Money, stuff, and wealth are not the issue. 
The real issue this morning is what are you zealous for? The issue is not money or stuff. The issue is what are you zealous for? The issue is where do you find your joy? Where do you find your joy? And even beyond that, where do you find your security? What gives you security? What gives you joy? What are you zealous for this morning? When you wake up in the morning, what is the thoughts that are going through your mind? When you lay down at night, what are the thoughts that are going through your mind? If I were to bring in your friends, if, if I were to bring in uh, your friends, or, or, or if I were to bring in your coworkers, or if I were to bring in some of your neighbors and say, tell me about this person. What are they really passionate about? What do they really, really love? What would they say? Because here's the deal, folks. If we're zealous for, for anything more than we're zealous for Christ, we've missed it. Because when we're zealous for other things and we pursue our joy and our security in those other things, we're reminded that all that stuff is sinking sand. It's all tem- temporary. It's all going to rust and rot and only the things of Christ will last. This is a church that in their material blessing has become complacent in their relationship with Christ. It's apparent with the Laodiceans that their treasure is stuff. What they really are zealous for is material gain. What they're really zealous for is their business. And they've come to a place where they would say, we're rich and we don't need anything. The statement that you don't need anything or we don't need anything There is no statement that could be more contradictory of true Christianity. When you get to a place in your relationship with Christ, now listen, this is not, we need to be content. When we we treasure Christ most, when we're zealous for Christ most, then it doesn't matter if we have much or little. We're like Paul, we've learned the secret to being content. But when Christ comes to us, and we go into our prayer closet and we get alone with God and we say, Lord, we don't really need you today because we're good on our own. Nothing could be more contradictory because Christ said to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. We are dependent daily upon Christ and his provision. So here's a church in their spiritual or their material blessing, they've grown delusional. They think they're doing good. We're rich. We don't need anything. What does Christ say? Because this is the only analysis that matters. He's the faithful and the true witness. What does he say? You're, You're wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind and naked. You know, I think here the reason that they're not pursuing Christ is because they don't think they need him. You think one way about yourself, and because you think you're doing good physically and materially, you've gotten to a place where you don't think you need me. And what Christ is really doing here is he's exposing the depth of of their need. He's giving them a spiritual diagnosis. He's telling him that this is the reality of where you're at. You think one way about yourself, but here's the reality of where you're at. And 
In layman's terms, he's saying to them, you think you're healthy, you think you're good, you don't think you need anything. The fact of the matter is spiritually, you're, you're terminally ill with days to live. You're on life support. You're struggling. You're hanging by a thread. And can I just ask you, church, right? when was the last time you got alone with God and asked him to do a spiritual diagnosis on you? I mean, we, we know this physically, we know we should have regular checkups. We don't always do it, but we should. We should have a regular checkup. There's things, especially as we start to get a little older, we need to check up on. Because why? Because we know there's, there can be some things lurking beneath the surface that we don't know about. We feel fine. We're doing okay. But there's something lurking beneath the surface. And if we don't get checked out and let them run some x-rays, we could go about our lives thinking we're okay when, in fact, we're about to die. And spiritually speaking, in our lives, we can, if we're not careful, get to a place of complacency, thinking we're doing okay, and we need to regularly get alone with God and say, speak into my life and let me know where I'm at spiritually with you. What would be your diagnosis today if you got alone with God? What would he say to you? Christ says to Laodicea, you're in bad shape. And so having received this this brutal diagnosis, Christ advises them. He's going to give them some advice. Look at verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I shall to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying if you want to be zealous for something, if you, if you want to be truly passionate about something, if you want to pursue something today, pursue these things. So you say, you know, I want to be zealous for Christ. What do, I, what do I need to be zealous for? Here's what you need to pursue. And the first thing is a genuine faith, a genuine, deep, abiding trust. That's what he means when he says gold refined by fire that you may be rich. It's a deep, abiding faith. You remember Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, even though refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to pursue something of eternal value this morning? You want to become eternally wealthy. Pursue a deep, deep faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Asking him daily, God, grow my faith in you. Grow my trust in you. Whatever it takes, bring me to a place. Do you know that's one of God's goals for your life? You read scripture and there's no doubt the one thing that you see is that God is looking for a people who will trust him. Who will take him at his word and just trust him. And those who learn to trust him as we studied Abraham in the Old Testament, those are the men, those are the women that become eternally wealthy. You want to be rich, pursue faith. And not only faith, but a righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means when he says white garments. White garments so that you may clothe yourself. These, these folks, they were, they were wealthy, and they were known for their textile industry. I mean, they, they, they made clothes, and they were known as the best-dressed people in the world. I love the way one commentator said it. He said they got designer clothes and a discount heart. Christ says, yeah, you look really good externally 
But what you really need is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You want to pursue something of eternal value. Pursue the righteousness of Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You want to pursue something, you want to be zealous for something, be zealous for the righteousness of Christ. And then finally, a, a, a spiritual wisdom. It's spiritual eyes to see what is of eternal value. That's what he means when he talks about this eye salve. They, they were also known for an eye medicine. They had developed some form of eye ointment that would improve a person's physical vision. So not only were they probably the best dressed people, but these people could see better than anybody in the world. And they were probably really proud of it. Boy, we can see everything. You know what Christ says? The fact of the matter is you can't see what's truly valuable. And he says, you need to buy some eye salve from me so that you can have some Holy Spirit-inspired common sense and wisdom to know that the stuff of this world is rotting and fading and only the stuff of Christ and his glory will live on eternally. The ability to say, not that, that's not where I'm investing. This is where I'm investing. Christ says, buy from me a deeper faith, a deeper trust. Buy from me the righteousness of Christ. Buy from me Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom. And it is interesting because he says, buy from me. Can I ask you this morning, how much does this stuff cost? To, to buy a deep, deep faith in Jesus Christ. To buy the righteousness of Christ. To buy the Holy Spirit implanted in us to give us wisdom. Can I just tell you this morning, it costs more than you and I could ever pay. But the good news is this morning, Jesus paid it all. Isn't that good news? Jesus paid the cost in his death on the cross, and all of these things are readily available to every one of us this morning through faith in Christ. That today you can have a deeper faith. Today you can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that God looks down upon you not through the lens of your sin but through the righteousness of Jesus and his shed blood. That today you can have the Holy Spirit implanted in your heart to give you wisdom to know what is best and what is pure and what is eternal. In fact, quite honestly, the, the first step to obtaining these things is to acknowledge that you can't obtain them. Like the rich young ruler, you can't buy them from me. These things are only received as a means of faith, as a gift of God's grace. And then we find this appeal here in verses 19 through 20, probably the portion of this letter that most of us know. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. <laughs> I love it. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. How many of you as parents have said that to your children? <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to whoop you. I got several of those. But dad would always say, I'm doing this because I love you. In that moment, it sure didn't feel like love. It felt a little bit like anger, a little bit like hate, you know? This rebuke that Christ is giving the church at Laodicea, I would imagine you'd have had a hard time motivating or telling them that Christ was being motivated by love. 
But some of you need to hear this this morning. Because some of you are hearing Christ's voice of discipline right now in your life. Some of you are experiencing Christ's strong hand of discipline in your life right now. And you need to know that every ounce of Christ's discipline, every word of his discipline flows forth from a fountain of perfect, unending love towards you. We know this as parents, don't we? If we had a child that's engaging in sinful behavior or hurtful behavior, we can't just let it slide, can we? We can't just say, well, we'll just go along with you. We know it's a destructive path, but hey, let's just go along with them. Let's make sure they stay happy. We'll just let them. No, we know that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? If we truly love our child, we'll love them enough to do whatever is necessary, whether it means strong discipline or even rebuke, to prevent them from going down that path. And why do we do it? Because we love them. Christ says, I'm speaking harshly to you because I deeply, deeply love and care about you. And then he appeals them, be zealous and repent. That, that zealous, that's what they were lacking. They, they had it in areas of business and material wealth. He says, how about taking that zeal and redirecting it towards me? How about taking that zeal and utilizing it in your relationship with me? Be zealous, repent. It means to change the direction, change the direction, redirect that zeal towards me. And in his appeal, he says there, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice, I'll come into them and we'll dine with him and he with me. It's a powerful picture. We have a picture here of Christ that the church is gathered for worship. They're there going through the motions of their worship and fellowship. And there's Christ on the outside of the church knocking on the door and he's completely ignored. As I was saying this again, I think what Christ is expressing in this powerful picture is the pain that he must feel when in light of all that he has done for us, in light of the remarkable sacrificial love that he has for us, and we just turn away in complete indifference. I mean, some of you have known what it is to have a deep, deep love for somebody and then just ignore you. Some of you have felt that in your family with either parents or I've talked to individuals who love their parents. They want to have a relationship and their parent ignores them. Some of you have experienced it with children. You love them, they're grown, and then you just have indifference. Some of you have experienced it in other relationships, but the fact of the matter is I don't think there's anything more painful that a person can experience than to deeply love somebody and only be returned in indifference. Folks, let me remind you of something this morning. There is nobody in this world that loves you more than Jesus. He made you. He created you. He died for you so that he could have a relationship with you. And I can't even begin to comprehend the pain that he must feel when we walk away in total indifference and just ignore him. powerful picture that Christ paints here and do you see what Christ really wants this is what I love about this what Christ really desires is fellowship he says and 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 I'll come into them and and dine with him and he with me the picture is I want to take a meal with you and a meal in that culture was a sign of intimacy it was it was a sign of deep friendship Christ wants to have a relationship 
He wants fellowship. Do you, do you know this today? That is why Christ came. He didn't come just so he could secure heaven. He didn't come to give you an eternal life insurance policy. Yes, he did secure heaven in his death on the cross. But he came and he lived and he died so that he could have a relationship with you. So that day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, you could have a personal relationship with God. Where you talk with him by means of prayer and he speaks into your life by means of his word. What he desires is fellowship with you. You know, this... Part of uh, our evangelism training is the three circles, and I love this. With the three circles, it talks about God's original design. It's perfect. And when you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, they walk in perfect fellowship with God. They work in, walk in perfect fellowship with each other. I mean, can you imagine that they walk with God in the cool of the garden? How about that? They got this per- perfect relationship. Then what happens? They sin, and sin leads to brokenness. And now everything's broken. They're broken in their relationship to God. They're broken in their relationship to to each other. And we try to do all things to fix this brokenness. All of us have this. We we try to fix it in every way. We try, try all kinds of things. But God has provided only one solution to the brokenness of our life. And what is it? It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. He came and lived and died to purchase for us salvation, to have a relationship with God by means of faith. How do we receive that salvation? We receive it through faith and repentance. We repent of our sin. We turn towards Christ. We trust in him. He gives us rebirth, new life. The Holy Spirit placed within us. And now what is cool about that, if you've seen that diagram coming out of that, we, through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, have the ability to regain, to recover some of God's original design, meaning through faith in Christ. Now, just as Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden, you and I have the opportunity to have fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to walk with Christ in fellowship. Now, right now, what do we look through a glass dimly, don't we? I was explaining this to, to my son and my nephew just recently, and they, they like to talk to each other, and they'll FaceTime on their phones occasionally, and that's cool, that's awesome. They like to do that. I say, hey, that's fun. You can FaceTime with, you, with your buddy. Yeah, that's cool. But you know what's even better than that? Seeing them face-to-face. See, that's why we get so excited to heaven. Uh, I was asked somebody the other day, what, what, what are you excited about heaven for? Well, I want to see them streets of gold. Yeah, them go, going to be cool too, but you know why we love heaven? Because we get to see Jesus. And now we got a relationship by faith, then it's sight. And, and I want you to consider something with me really briefly this morning. Do you know what? We, we think about how excited we are to see Jesus. He died so that he could see us. You know, I, I do a wedding. I love getting to stand down front with that, with that groom. You know, he's standing down there all dressed up. And you know what he's waiting for? The doors to open. You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for his bride. Have you ever thought about this? You're Christ's bride. He can't wait to see you. He loves talking with us now, but he can't wait to see us face to face. That's what he came to purchase, fellowship. He wants intimacy with us. He wants a relationship with us. What's so beautiful about this is this relationship, do you know who it's available to? It's not available to the elite. It's not just available to the wealthy, the smart, the beautiful. It says here, if anyone 
hears my voice. Christ has put out before you this morning an open invitation to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is own up to your sin and trust in Christ. He's knocking on the door. And then look at the award, verse 21. He who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Uh, reading through the commentaries this past week, you look at all the, the, the conjecture of what this means. They try to get into the specifics of this and different things. You know what I figured out? They don't really know, and neither do I. Here's what we do know. Here, here's the generalities of this. You know what I think most can agree on? What this means is that Christ achieved our victory over sin, Satan, and death. He defeated sin, Satan, and death in his life, death, and resurrection. And through faith in Christ, guess what? We get to share in that victory. Isn't that awesome? He did all the work. He's victorious. And then through faith in him, by overcoming and being zealous, loving him, we get to share in that victory. Some of you are here this morning you gave your life to Christ. You gave your life to Christ. He was your treasure. You, you, you were zealous for Christ. You, you came to know him. You, boy, you couldn't get away to get in his word. You, you couldn't wait to go to church to be with his people. And boy, you, you loved some discipleship and talking to some folks. And, 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 and quite frankly, you love telling people about Jesus. You love talking about Jesus. You know, he, was your, he was your master passion. You, just, you were zealous for Christ. But then over time, life changed. All of a sudden, you, now you got this job and you got to try to do all this over here. And then you, you got the house and you got to keep that nice. You got to do them renovations because HGTV tells you your house is no good. You got to have different countertops. And next thing you know, you got to have a different car. I got to work a little harder. And then I got kids and I got to do this. And you're not intentional about it. You're not intentional, but just over time. The stuff of this world just pushes out Christ. Hey, you still go to church from time to time when it's convenient. If I ain't got nothing else going on, I guess I'll head on over there. You may pick up your Bible from time to time, but for the most part, it sits on a shelf in the back seat of your car. You may pray over a meal from time to time, but you can't even remember the last time you got on your knees and pleaded for Jesus to help you live a day. And if you were gut level honest with yourself, you would say today, the spiritual diagnosis of my life is I'm lukewarm. And if that is you this morning, my encouragement to you would be the same as Christ's encouragement to the Laodiceans. Repent and be zealous. Turn from your sin and turn back towards Christ. His invitation is open. He'll receive you with open arms. Now, there's a lot of discussion over whether or not this is a, a text for non-believers or believers. In other words, Christ is knocking on the door. Is this, is this you know, some, a lot of times this passage is used evangelistically. And then there's those who will say, no, it's not really evangelism. He's, he's, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to church people. Can I tell you, as I study this again, all that discussion, quite frankly, is irrelevant. It's a non-issue. Here's what's important. Listen to me. Here's what's important. No matter where you're at today, if you are not zealous for Jesus, you're in a precarious spiritual situation. If you are not truly zealous for Christ, if he's not your master passion, 
then regardless of whether or not you'd say, I don't know him or I do know him, you're in a bad spot today. And not only are you in a bad spot, but you're missing out on the greatest joy a person could ever experience this side of glory. And that's to have a personal relationship with Christ by means of faith in him. And my challenge to you would be today, repent of your sins and turn towards Christ. Run towards him. Be zealous for him and say, I want faith. I want your righteousness. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Each week, I tell you, there's a a song. And um, I just like, you know, on my playlist, um, Spotify playlist, you just let them kind of randomly play, play, play through. And, and early in this week, um, a, a song came on that I hadn't heard in a long time. It's, it's, uh, it's an old song, but it was kind of redone by Chris Tomlin, part of a Passion CD. And um, man, I heard it and studying this. And I'm telling you, please understand when I preach these things, I'm not preaching at you. God's working on me too. Boy, if you're not convicted by some of this stuff, something's wrong. And I was studying this, and I heard this song of consecration to Christ, and it just hit me. And so every morning this week, after my devotional time, I would put, on, put in my headphones, and I'd get on my knees, and I'd use this as a song of worship to Christ. And here's what I want you to do right now as we close. Would you just bow your heads? I don't care where you're at. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, listen, I am zealous for Jesus. That's great. Don't lose that zeal. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter where you're at this morning. All of us would do well to re-consecrate ourselves to Christ. To say to Jesus this morning, we want to be zealous for you. So I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just, I'm going to read these words. Bill's going to play in the background. Let this be your heart this morning. Take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful, Lord, for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold with outstretched hands and open hands not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. Take my will, Lord, and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet. It's treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee.
Lord, that is our prayer this morning. I pray right now in this moment. I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that they would see the beauty of your salvation. I pray that they would see an open door of opportunity that through faith they can know a personal relationship with you. And I pray this morning they would run to you. They'd cry out for forgiveness. And today, they'd be zealous for you. I pray for that person who's grown lukewarm in their walk with you, indifferent, much like the church at Laodicea, going through the motions, but never deeply considering your word, never fervently seeking you in prayer. Lord, I pray that they would repent and be zealous. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way Christ might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. We'll have pastors here at the front. Maybe you'd like to unite with our church family. Maybe you would just want to pray here at the front. Maybe you want to pray where you're at. But this is your time. Know this morning, you'll never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing together.